find it on there. Uh, but while you're getting to Leviticus chapter 8, we are continuing a uh, study that we started last week on the book of Leviticus. And uh, as we mentioned last week, Leviticus doesn't start, you know, very, it starts happy in a way, but also very sad in a way when you read through it, you know, starting with, uh, you know, here's how you are to sacrifice these animals for atonement. And so that's kind of a, a heavy way to start the book of Leviticus, but it is a very important thing that we see at the beginning of Leviticus, this beginning of this sacrificial system. And it's so important because this sacrificial system gives the people an opportunity to atone for their sins and be cleansed from their sins. But we talked about the problem with it is that it's a temporary solution to a problem that was going to continue. You know, it was going to continue to be an everyday need for sacrifices for the forgiveness of sins. You know, the burnt offering that we talked about, it was important. It was, you know, important for atonement, and it could be done every day if they had the uh, livestock to do it. It was, uh, it was important. The sin offering was important because it you know, helped with those sins that you didn't know you committed. Maybe, you know, with there being so many laws, you fell short in one and you didn't even realize that this uh, sin offering was a mandatory offering to atone for those sins that, you know, maybe you, uh, you committed unintentionally. It was all very important, but it was only temporary. There was a greater need for something more in that was fulfilled in Jesus. Jesus is that atoning sacrifice, that blood that was poured out, that blood that was shed for us once and for all. And so it points to something greater in the New Testament, that is the sacrifice of Christ. And so now we find ourselves in Leviticus chapter 8. And this morning we're going to move from the sacrificial system to the role of the priest. As you recall, the priests play a very important role in this, you know, sacrificial system. They have a very important job that they have to do. And we find ourselves in Leviticus 8 with the ordination of Aaron and his sons to be set apart as priests. And they have a very important job, a very important task that they have to fulfill and you may be wondering this morning, is talking about the ordination of the priest really important to us this morning? Well, it's important to us because, one, it was important to God. But it also, again, points to something greater to come in the New Testament. And so we're going to start in Leviticus 8, and we're going to start in the first four verses. And this is what it says. It says, The Lord said to Moses, Bring Aaron and his sons, their garments, the anointing oil, the bull for the sin offering, the two rams and the basket containing bread made without yeast, and gather the entire assembly at the entrance to the tent of meeting. Moses did as the Lord commanded him, and the assembly gathered at the entrance to the tent of meeting. We see Moses right at the beginning of this. He's continuing to play his role as kind of the covenant mediator. It's his job, it's his task to make sure that everybody is doing what God has asked them to do. And so, at this time, he is going to ordain Aaron and his sons into this priesthood. And this is his job to get everything ready. And so he goes to Aaron and Aaron's sons and brings all the things necessary for the ordination it says that he goes and he gathers the entire assembly at the entrance of the tent of meeting. 
The phrase here for entire assembly likely refers to a body of elders who represented the various tribes and clans of the nation of Israel. In Leviticus 9.1, it mentions something similar, and it says, On the eighth day, Moses summoned Aaron and his sons, the elders of Israel. And we see here that this is a public event. People are gathered up to see what has taken place. They're part of this ordination by seeing what is going on. And this is something that we see kind of played out in the New Testament as well, this idea of people gathering and ordaining and setting apart for a, a task, a purpose, a ministry that God has called them to. In Acts chapter 13, 2 and 3, it says, While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 14, it says, Do not neglect your gift which was given you through prophecy when the body of elders laid their hands on you. And you see, this task that Aaron and his sons were taking on was not one that is to be taken lightly because they're called, one, to serve the people, but two, they were called to serve God and seek to, bring, or to please him, to uh, serve him in all that they did. Exodus 28:41 tells us this. After you put these clothes on your brother Aaron and his sons, anoint and ordain them, consecrate them so they may serve me as priest. And this is a job that was not to be taken lightly. And so he gets everything gathered up and uh, continues on in verse 5. It said, Moses said to the assembly, This is what the Lord had commanded to be done. Then Moses brought Aaron and his sons forward and washed them with water. He put the tunic on Aaron, tied the sash around him, clothed him with the robe, and put the ephod on him. He also, also fastened on the ephod uh, with a decorative waistband, which he tied around him. He placed the breastpiece on him and put the urim and thummim in the breastpiece. Then he placed the turban on Aaron's head and set the gold plate, the sacred emblem on the front of it, as the Lord commanded Moses. And so now we're seeing this ordination process begin, and it first starts with Moses washing Aaron and Aaron's sons with water. This would have been done at the bronze basin that we see constructed in Exodus 30, 17 through 21. And it says, And the Lord said to Moses, Make a bronze basin with its bronze stand for washing. Place it between the tent of meeting and the altar and put water in it. Aaron and his sons are to wash their hands and feet with water from it. Whenever they enter the tent of meeting, they shall wash with water so that they will not die. Also, when they approach the altar to minister by presenting a food offering to the Lord, they shall wash their hands and feet so that they will not die. This is to be a lasting ordinance for Aaron and his descendants for the generations to come. Now, you see, the text doesn't tell us what is meant by washing. It's likely here that the priests were ceremonially bathed all over one time, and then after this, they would continue to be done, or they would continue to do what is said in Exodus 30, that they would wash their hands and their feet. And so we see that they're washed, and then we see these ceremonial clothes. And we see Aaron give the garment to the high priest here. This would call attention to their function and their office. And these garments are first mentioned all the way back in Exodus, Exodus 28, 4 and 5. These are the garments they are to make, a breastpiece, an ephod, a robe, a woven tunic, a turban, and a sash. They are to make these sacred garments for your brother Aaron and his sons, so they may serve me as priest, 
have them use gold and blue, purple and scarlet, yarn and fine linen. And so you might be wondering, what are the significance of these pieces? What are these pieces? Why did they mention it here in Scripture? Well, we go through them. For starters, there's the breast piece. And this breast piece was known as the breast piece of decision or judgment. Exodus 28:29 says, Whenever Aaron enters the holy place, he will bear the names of the sons of Israel over his heart on the breast piece of decision as a continuing memorial before the Lord. And then you read the text and you see these words and you're like, what in the world are these? The Urim and the Thummim. What are these things? What's the purpose of these? Well, these were gemstones that were carried by the high priest of Israel on the priestly garments. They were used by the high priest to determine God's will in certain situations. Some believe that God would cause these stones to light up in various patterns to reveal a decision. Others believe that on these pieces were uh, engraved with symbols that would mark a yes or a no or a true or a false. And that would be how the priest would make decisions by using these stones. And so these are part of the breast piece. And then there was the ephod. The ephod, it was held together by a girdle of similar workmanship that was sewed onto it. It had shoulder pieces It crossed on the shoulders, and they were fastened or sewed to the ephod in front. Then there was the robe. And the robe was blue, and it says that it would have pomegranates and bells on them. And you might be thinking, of all the fruit, why pomegranates? Why are pomegranates on this robe? I didn't realize this until I was reading this week. It said that pomegranates have 613 seeds in it. Now, I don't know who was, you know taken the task of counting every seed but that's what it's believed that there's 613 seeds in a pomegranate and this is important because Jewish tradition holds that these 613 seeds parallels to the 613 laws that are in the Torah some also believe that the pomegranate was a word picture to Israel the outside of a pomegranate doesn't always look the greatest looks kind of rough maybe a little bit beaten up probably how the nation of Israel looked to some beaten up, brittle on the outside. But what was important was on the inside and the blessings that the nation of Israel had, even though they looked beat up and torn up on the outside. But we see that there is these pomegranates and there's bells on this as well. The tinkling bells that would allow the people to hear the high priest when he ministered in the holy place. And the sound of these bells assured the people of God's mercy in allowing a priest to minister on their behalf. Talks about these in Exodus 28, 31 through 35. It says, make the robe of the ephod entirely of blue cloth with an opening for the head in its center. There shall be a woven edge like a collar around this opening so that it will not tear. Make pomegranates of blue, purple, and scarlet yarn around the hem of the robe with gold bells between them. The gold bells and the pomegranates are to alternate around the hem of the robe. Aaron must wear it when he ministers. The sound of the bells will be heard when he enters the holy place before the Lord and when he comes out so that he will not die. Then there was the turban. The turban, it was a linen headpiece. And the most important part of this was the plate of gold that was on it. And it was because of what was inscribed on this gold piece. Exodus 28, 36 and 38, it says, Make a plate of pure gold and engrave on it as on a sill. Holy to the Lord. 
fasten a blue cord to it to attach it to the turban. It is to be on the front of the turban. It will be on Aaron's forehead, and he will bear the guilt involved in the sacred gifts the Israelites consecrate. Whatever their gifts may be, it will be on Aaron's forehead continually so that they will be acceptable to the Lord. And I know there's a lot of details right there, and it may seem like a lot of things that God is telling them there, but you see, these were important because these garments would help to set apart the priest from the other people of Israel. Their outfit was completely different than what others would wear, and it would set the people apart. Then we go on to verse 10. It says, And Moses took the anointing oil and anointed the tabernacle and everything in it, and so consecrated them. He sprinkled some of the oil on the altar seven times, anointing the altar and all its utensils and the basin with its stand to consecrate them. He poured some of the anointing oil on Aaron's head and anointed him to consecrate him. Then he brought Aaron's sons forward, put tunics on them, tied sashes around them, and fastened caps on them as the Lord commanded Moses. And so Moses now takes the anointing oil and anoints the tabernacle. Everything in it he consecrates. That word consecrate, it means to make or declare sacred. And so by using this anointing oil and, you know, splashing it on everything in the tabernacle, he's setting it apart and making it holy. This is a holy place. And he did the same thing to the altar of burnt offering and to the bronze basin. And this was told, Moses Moses was told to do this in Exodus 30, 26 or 29. Then use it to anoint the tent of meeting, the ark of the covenant law, the table and all its articles, the lampstand and its accessories, the altar of incense, the altar of burnt offering and its, all its utensils, and the basin with its stand. You shall consecrate them so that they will be most holy, and whatever touches them will be holy. Matter of fact, God was so detail-oriented on what he wanted done, you can actually go to Exodus 30, verses 22 and through 25, and read what was actually in the anointing oil. All of these things, God had a meticulous, detailed plan for how he wanted things done. And so we see that he takes this anointing oil and now he pours oil on Aaron's head to consecrate him. And again, this was told uh, by God to Moses in Exodus 29.7. Take the anointing oil and anoint him by pouring it on his head. Exodus 30.30. Anoint Aaron and his sons and consecrate them so they may serve me as priest. The reason for doing this is to set apart the tabernacle, the furniture, the priest. All of them are to be set apart and holy. And be holy before God. Exodus thirty twenty nine. You shall consecrate them so they will be most holy and whatever touches them will be holy. And then Moses puts the priestly garments on each of one of Aaron's sons. Exodus 28, 40 through 41. Make tunics, sashes, and caps for Aaron's sons to give them dignity and honor. After you put these clothes on your brother Aaron and his sons, anoint and ordain them. Consecrate them so they may serve me as priest. Verse 14. says, He then presented the bull for the sin offering, and Aaron and his sons laid their hands on its head. Moses slaughtered the bull and took some of the blood, and with his finger he put it on all the horns of the altar to purify the altar. He poured out the rest of the blood at the base of the altar, so he consecrated it to make atonement for it. Moses also took all the fat around the internal organs, the long lobe of the liver, and both kidneys and their fat, and burned it on the altar. But the bull, with its hide and its flesh and its intestines, he burned up outside the camp as the Lord commanded Moses. Then or He then presented the ram for the burnt offering, and Aaron and his sons laid their hands on its head. 
And Moses slaughtered the rams and splashed the blood against the sides of the altar. He cut the ram into pieces and burned the head, the pieces and the fat. He washed the internal organs and the legs with water and burned the whole ram on the altar. It was a burnt offering, a pleasing aroma, a food offering presented to the Lord as the Lord commanded Moses. And so we see now the beginning of three sacrifices laid out that follow the command of Exodus 29. And what's interesting to note here in this case is, as we talked about last week, whose job was it to do most of the work? It was the job of the worshiper, the person who was making the sacrifice. But this time we see Moses taking control of this and doing all of the stuff. And we see the first offering here is the sin offering. Why do they need to offer a sin offering here? Well, the reason for this was twofold. We've got to remember that Aaron and his sons are people. And they are regular, ordinary people, even though they are set apart and holy as a priest, as they will be after they go through this ordination, they are still people. And people are sinful, and people make mistakes, and people fall short. And so Aaron and his sons are just as sinful as anybody else. And they needed atonement for their sins. And so what do they do? Through all of these offerings, Aaron and his sons place their hand on the head, which we talked about last week was this idea of leaning on the animal. It was this idea of the confession and transference of sin that this animal would take their place. And the second reason we see a sin offering here, the basic purpose of the sin offering was to use the blood to cleanse and purify the altar to keep from allowing polluted offerings. Moses would apply the blood to the horns of the altar. And Moses does the rest of his job. He takes the fat and other required parts and puts them outside on the altar and takes the bull with its hide and flesh and intestines and burns it up outside the camp. And then he goes through and does the process for the burnt offering, which we talked about last week, the slaughtering, the uh, cleaning of the internal organs and the legs and all of that stuff as we read last week he talks about here then he moves into verse 22 says he then presented the other ram the ram for the ordination and Aaron and his sons laid their hands on its head Moses slaughtered the ram and took some of its blood and put it on the lobe of Aaron's right ear on the thumb of his right hand and on the big toe of his right foot Moses also brought Aaron's sons forward and put some of the blood on the lobes of their right ears, on the thumbs of their right hands, and on the big toes of their right feet. He then splashed blood against the sides of the altar. After that, he took the fat, the fat tail, all the fat around the eternal organs, the long lobe of the liver, both kidneys and their fat, and the right thigh. And from the basket of bread made without yeast, which was before the Lord, he took one thick loaf, one thick loaf with olive oil mixed in, and one thin loaf, and he put those on the fat portions and on the right thigh. He put all these in the hands of Aaron and his sons, and they waved them before the Lord as a wave offering. And Moses took them from their hands and burned them on the altar to the top of the burnt offering as an ordination offering, a pleasing aroma, a food offering presented to the Lord. Moses also took the breast, which was his share of the ordination ram, and waved it before the Lord as a wave offering, as the Lord commanded Moses. This is probably the part of Leviticus that we get to and we start to really wonder what in the world is going on here. We see this ram and this ordination offering and this ordination offering, it really follows the prescribed ritual for the fellowship offering that comes in chapter 3. Major difference here being that they take the blood and put it on Aaron's right earlobe, on the thumb of his right hand and on the big toe of his right foot. Yeah, I'm thankful we don't do that today. 
squeamish me might not uh, take very well to that. And the same thing was done to Aaron's sons as well. And you might be wondering, what was the point of this? It could be a couple of different things. It could be a symbol of the idea that Aaron and his sons are being set apart to hear from God, to serve God, to follow God. It could also be this idea of extra cleansing for their sins through the blood. And then we see here the wave offering. The wave offering it's, was the symbolic act indicating that the offering was for the Lord. Portions of the things offered were literally waved in the air before the Lord. Imagine today doing something, take out the organ and just swing it around. Yeah. But that's what they would do. This was part of this offering. And then we move into verse 30. It says, Then Moses took some of the anointing oil and some of the blood from the altar and sprinkled them on Aaron and his garments and on his sons and their garments. So he consecrated Aaron and his garments and his sons and their garments. Moses then said to Aaron and his sons, Cook the meat at the entrance to the tent of meeting and eat it, eat it there with the bread from the basket of ordination offerings. As I was commanded, Aaron and his sons are to eat it. Then burn up the rest of the meat and the bread. Do not leave the entrance to the tent of meeting for seven days until the days of your ordination are completed, for your ordination will last seven days. What has been done today was commanded by the Lord to make atonement for you. You must stay at the entrance of the tent of meeting day and night for seven days and do what the Lord requires so you will not die for that is what I have been commanded so Aaron and his sons did everything the Lord commanded through Moses kind of here we see these final steps of this ordination process from Moses we see Moses takes anointing oil and blood from the altar and sprinkles it on Aaron and his sons and their garments this was told to Moses by God to do this in Exodus 29 verse 21 and take some blood from the altar and some of the anointing oil and sprinkle it on Aaron and his garments and on his sons and their garments. Then he and his sons and their garments will be consecrated. And because of this, they and their garments have been sanctified. They're set apart and they had specific tasks now that they were in charge to do and that only they can do. And really this would excuse them from the more common task. They had specific tasks that God had called them to accomplish. And then they're told to take the meat from the ordination offering and the bread, eat from it, whatever's left, burn it up. There's to be no leftovers. And they're told to stay for seven days at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And that would be the length of this ordination, ordination process, seven days. And it sounds like for seven days, it would appear they repeat these same steps, these same offerings, these same uh, anointing processes And all these details we read, and it may not make sense. It may not make sense to us, and we might be wondering, why is there so much detail? The reason it's so important is because of the task that it, or the, the purpose for it. It's setting everything apart. This is to be set apart and holy. They are to be set apart and holy. The clothes that they have are set apart and holy. All of these things are set apart and this was important to God. And guess what he's calling them to do? He's calling them to be obedient. Just do everything I tell you to do. Just, I'm giving you all the detailed instructions. It's all written out for you. All you have to do is do what I ask you to do. He wants them to be obedient. And guess what? They are. 
They're obedient. In chapter 8 and chapter 9, it says over and over again, they did just as God had asked them to do. They're doing everything that God had called them to do. In chapter 9, they're offering sacrifices for uh, people's sins. They're doing exactly what they're supposed to be doing. And then we get to chapter 10. In chapter 10 of Leviticus, verses 1 through 3, it says this, Aaron's sons Nadab and Abihu took their censers, put fire in them, and added incense. And they offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, contrary to his command. So fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Moses then said to Aaron, This is what the Lord spoke of when he said, Among those who approach me, I will be proved holy. In the sight of all the people, I will be honored. And Aaron remained silent. You see, the job, the task that they were taking on was a giant task. The job of the priest was to intercede on behalf of the people before God. And the priest made the sacrifice to atone for the sins of the people. And it was a good solution for a while to have these priests. But here's the problem with this system. Just like the sacrificial system, how it was good, it served its purpose for a time, it was temporary. The same thing here with the priest. They could never totally satisfy the wrath of God. And just as we read, the earthly priests were imperfect people, just like everyone else. And they had to make atonement for their own sin. And so, why is this important to us this morning? Well, I think it's important because when we fast forward to the New Testament, we see a major change. We see a priest that comes who is even greater than Aaron. And so I think it's important to us because we learn that Jesus is the great high priest. Jesus is the great high priest. That is, he comes, he lives, he teaches, he dies, he raises again. He is our great high priest. And why so? What makes Jesus our great high priest? Well, there's a couple of things that make Jesus our great high priest. He is our great high priest because Jesus intercedes on our behalf. Jesus intercedes on our behalf. The word intercede, it means to intervene or to make petition for. Or the way that I think of it is a lawyer making a case before a judge for his clients. Making a case for why this man is innocent. Why this person doesn't deserve this. And that's what it means to intercede. And Jesus intercedes on our behalf. You see, the Levitical priests of the Old Covenant, they would intercede between God and man. They would offer sacrifices of atonements. But here's the thing. Their priesthood was only temporary because guess what? Life catches up with you. And what happens when life catches up with you? Eventually, you die. That's how it works. You live, you die. And Hebrews 7.23 actually tells us the same thing. It says, Now there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office. There's a pattern with earthly priests. But here's the thing. We needed a greater high priest that would intercede on our behalf. And Jesus does just that. He intercedes and his intercession never ceases. Right now, Jesus continues to intercede on your behalf. Before God, sitting at his right hand, intercedes on your behalf. 
Hebrews 7, 24 through 25, it says, But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Romans eight thirty four, Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who is raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Right now, the Son of God is sitting at God's right hand, interceding on your behalf, on my behalf, on all of our behalf. And why is that so important? Well, it's so important because at the same time that he's interceding on our behalf, the enemy is accusing. The enemy is accusing each and every one of us, calling each and every one of our sins out before God. He's done this. He's broken this law. Look at all the things that he has done. He's imperfect. He's not worth any of this. All your sins laid out, he's accusing. And at the same time, the Son of God intercedes on our behalf. I love how R.C. Sprouls puts it. He says, we persevere because we are preserved by our high priest intercession. And so he intercedes on our behalf. But what else is he? Well, Jesus is our atoning sacrifice once and for all. You see, the high priest would offer sacrifices for the forgiveness of sin, but it had to be repeated constantly. And just as we mentioned earlier, the priests, they weren't perfect. They were just as flawed and sinful as us. And so these imperfect people were offering sins, not just for them, but for each and every one of us. We needed something better, something long-term, and that was Jesus And Jesus came and he did not need sin offerings on his behalf because he was without sin. Hebrews 7, 27, unlike the other high priest, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people because he is without sin. But what makes him unique is that that as high priest, he intercedes for his people, but not only that, he didn't need to sacrifice bulls or goats or lambs or birds, any of that, because he was that sacrifice. He was that sacrificial bull, that sacrificial lamb, that sacrificial bird. He was that. He was the sacrifice. Or just like John the Baptist says in John 1.29, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world Or it's just like the author of Hebrews says in Hebrews 2.17, For this reason he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. He came to be that sacrifice, and guess what? His blood was poured out. You know, there is a requirement. Sacrifice atonement of sins it required blood it was necessary for blood to be involved hebrews 9:22 in fact the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood and without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness blood was required and so he gave his blood and his sacrifice this sacrifice he made it was a permanent sacrifice once and for all hebrews 7:27 he sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself Hebrews 9.12, he did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. Did you catch those last two words? Eternal redemption. How amazing. Because of his sacrifice, we have eternal redemption in him. 
Or just as the words of Peter says in 1 Peter 2.24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. You see, he is our great high priest. And because of this, I think it beckons us to remember a few things. The first thing is this. We need to hold firmly to the faith we profess. We need to hold firmly to the faith that we profess. Hebrews 4, 14 and 15, it says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. We have a great high priest who lived, who died, who rose again, who ascended into heaven. And because of this, we need to hold fast to the faith that we have, that we profess. Because we have a Savior who's been tempted in every way, and yet he didn't sin. And I get it. Sometimes we feel like things are just difficult or tough. The situations we face in life, they're just overwhelming. They're overwhelming. It just feels like they're too much for us to bear. Life is just too difficult. It's too hard, the situations we face. And we feel like, uh, it just seems too much. And we start to teeter. We start to waver in our faith. And we start to, you know, the straight path. We start to go off track a little bit. We start to go off the road. See, what we need to do is we need to hold fast. Hold fast to him, hold fast to his word, hold fast to the faith that we have, the hope that we have that comes through the death, the resurrection, the blood shed by Jesus Christ. We need to hold fast to that faith that we profess, that we proclaim, that we tell people about. We need to hold fast to that. When we start to feel like the world is beating down on us and bogging us down, we need to hold to that faith. And the second thing that we need to remember is this. We are part of a royal priesthood. Because of Jesus, we are part of a royal priesthood. 1 Peter 2.9, that you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. To those who have given their lives to Jesus, you are part of a royal priesthood. And we are to declare his praises. We are to give him glory and honor. We are to sing about and profess and proclaim what it is that he has done for us, to give him honor and glory and thanksgiving to him who brought us out of darkness into great light. You see, I love listening to testimonies. And the reason I love listening to testimonies is because you see so many different stories of how people came from where they were to where they are and, you know, this situation that they were in and just God brought them out of darkness and into light. But here's the thing about all of these stories. Our details may all be different, but our story is all the same. We are broken, flawed, filled with sin, shackled by it. And we are in need of a Savior. And because of what Jesus has done, bringing us out of darkness into light. He deserves our praise, our adoration, our obedience, our worship. Everything that we are belongs to him. Man, he is our great high priest. 
I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. And as they do, I read this quote the other day from John Piper, and I really liked it. John Piper said, If we cannot claim to live sinless lives, then the only thing that can keep us from despairing before a holy God is that we have an advocate in heaven, and he pleads our case not on the basis of our perfection, but of his propitiation. Jesus came, he lived, he died, he rose again. He is our propitiation. He is our atonement. He is that sacrifice that was made for us. And maybe you're here this morning and you are you're living in this world, but you've never given your life to him. And maybe the reason for that is you just feel kind of like you've done too much. I like you've just got too much in your past you've got so much that you've done that there's just it feels like there's no way that you could ever be forgiven here's the good news Jesus our great high priest is that atoning sacrifice once and for all you can give your life to him you can put your hope your faith your trust in him and become part of a royal priesthood who proclaims and professes and sings praise for what God has done And so if that's you this morning, you can give your life to him today. What better time than now? Don't need to wait. On the connect cards in the chairs around you, you could write it down. I'd love to talk with you. You could come up here. I'd love to talk with you here. Find me afterwards. I'd love to talk with you. Or maybe you're here this morning and what you need to do is you just need to go before God and just let some things out the things that you've been holding on to, the the doubts, the stress, the anxieties, the things that you have been going through, the things that you've been keeping to yourself. Maybe you just need to let those things out before God. And he intercedes on our behalf, goes before God on our behalf, makes our case before God. And this morning you can go before him and you can lay those things at his feet. Right where you're sitting, you can pray. You can come pray with me. I'd love to pray with you. Find a brother and sister who would pray with you. I know there's several here who would. Man, Jesus is our great high priest. He intercedes on our behalf. And he was our atoning sacrifice once and for all. We need to hold fast to our faith and remember to whom we belong. We are a royal priesthood. If you're here this morning and you have a decision to make, pray that you do so as we stand and we sing.